distant planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future to conquer the universe. survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king. They will hold her in the Black Fortress. You must have help. Thieves, bandits, fighters and brawlers. Desperate men. Those are the kind of men I need. Well, you heard him. We are now an army. <laughs> At the end of an impossible journey, they must fight an invincible enemy. Here's the knowledge you seek. I shall be your king. In the fortress, you will face more than the slayers. What is about to happen to them could never have happened on Earth. Columbia Pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before. Crawl. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast, where the genre in the movie we're going to discuss is decided by the role of a die. And um, today I'm joined with Leonard Hayhurst, a longtime volunteer at Monster Bash, one of the best conferences you can go to for classic sci-fi horror. It's To me, it's the best place to go in Mars, Pennsylvania, and it happens twice a year, once in June, once in October. And... Leonard has been there for over 20 years. He's a fixture. One of the things I love about that Leonard does there, if you ever go, is that he is the game show host extraordinaire. You know, what's my monster and the monster match game. He's everywhere at all times. Somehow, I don't know how he does it. How are you doing today, Leonard? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on the program, Steve. I've been looking forward to this. And you asked me to do this at the October bash, and I was excited by the invite because I didn't feel I was important enough to be on the Diecast podcast. So I feel very privileged to be here. Well, you are important enough. I mean, come on. I mean, really, you're famous <laughs> in your area. To some in people. my area, in certain areas, I'm, I'm very famous, particularly at Monster Bash. Uh, the first one was in 97. I've been there since 2001. And uh, we've been doing the game shows, I think, since 17. And along with the two you mentioned, I also helped Tom Weaver with his quiz show. I'm his Vanna White to the Pat Sajak. I'm the one that is keeping track of the points and picking the uh, contestants and passing out the prizes at the end. So we do three game shows at Monster Bash right now, and I'm in all, all three of them, hosting two, and it's a good time. I'm going to challenge you now, since you said you're the Vanna White, that the next one you dress up in a Vanna White-type gown. Nobody <laughs> wants to see that. I know. <laughs> but that would be something. That, that, would, that, that, that would be hilarious. Maybe if I put it on over my regular clothes. Nobody wants to see me just in a dress. That's we true. Don't, we don't run that. We don't run that kind of show at Monster Bash. <laughs> but you don't just do Monster Bash, you know, because that's volunteering. You actually have a life outside. I know people don't understand this sometimes, but there is yeah. a life outside of Monster Bash, and mm-hmm. you are a professional journalist. You've been doing it for what 15, 20 years now. 
More than 15 years, um, I worked for a small newspaper in Ohio uh, called the Coshocken Tribune, and I do some stuff for some of our sister papers because we're owned by Gannett, which has the USA Today, biggest newspaper company in the United States as far as the number of properties they own. And um, it's, a, it's, again, it's a small world newspaper. I'm the main reporter, uh, but I love, I love doing it. And I love, uh, when I call myself a professional journalist, uh, it kind of makes me sound maybe more important or more bigger than I am. I, I kind of just view myself as being a very small community reporter. You know, professional journalist makes me sound like I'm on 60 Minutes, which I'm not. Are you, are you paid for your work? Yes. You're a professional journalist. I, I mean, know, <laughs> I know. I know. And I have won several regional awards, state awards, the Ohio Associated Press Media Editors Awards. I've won several awards uh, over over the past several years. Uh, uh, one first place to my, to my credit, which was for uh, what they call uh, explanatory reporting, where you kind of do what, we, what you would call in podcasts and online a deep dive a deep dive into a subject. That's what explanatory journalism is. And I did win a first place for that a couple of years ago. And uh, right now, as we record this, I'm working on my submissions for this year. So it's always nice to be recognized for your work. That is true. I, I, I remember being um, with the podcast with one of the interviews and, and the, I've been nominated, I was nominated for a Rondo for Donnie Dunnigan, which I was able to interview at monster bash yeah. a few years ago. And then of course, mm-hmm. I was nominated for best podcast for the last Rondo award. So it is nice when you're nominated and it's just, I don't care if I win or lose. It's just nice to know somebody out there actually likes what you're doing. And I think that's right, it's great. an acknowledgement. Yeah. It's an acknowledgement. You know, uh, again, I always like to say at the time of this recording, cause I never know when this is going to go up or when people are going to watch it. But my birthday was just a week ago from the time that we're doing this. And that's just nice too. When even people on Facebook wish you happy birthday, you know, somebody's thinking of you, they think enough of you at least to say, Hey, happy birthday. It's a special day. I want to acknowledge that. So, um, you know, positive reinforcement, that's, that's something that's always been key, key with me. Yeah, and happy belated birthday. I wished you on Facebook, this, but happy belated yes, birthday because we're kind of in person. We're on zoom and we're doing this yes. in the middle of January. Um, but that kind of stuff, but it's just, you know, it's fun. And you're so much younger than I am. I saw your age. I was like, Oh my Lord, he's so much younger. <laughs> you know, I, but there's so many people younger than me. I'm starting to feel like an old man. You know, one thing that I'm, I'm doing uh, that I know I told you is I'm in a, I'm doing rehearsals right now for a play called the play that goes wrong. And um, it's a comedy centered around a murder mystery. It's supposed to be a murder mystery where everything goes wrong. But the character I, I play, Robert, who plays Thomas Collymore, and he has a sister, Florence. Well, the woman playing Florence is half my age, literally. She's turning 22 in less than a month. I'm 44. And I said something to the director. I said, do we care that my sister is young enough to be my daughter? And he goes, no, no, they, they wouldn't care. They, we don't care about that. <laughs> if it works in the sons of Katie Elder with John Wayne being the eldest, and I forgot who played the youngest, but he, the younger guy had oh. to be 40 years younger than John yeah, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember. And, uh, yeah, it was John Wayne and Dean Martin, and I forget the other two guys now, yeah. Yeah, but there's a big age gap between the youngest and John Wayne and Dean Martin's characters, and it's just like, boy, you know, so if it works there, it, it works for you. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, the idea is that this theater company will probably just take who they could get to put on this play. So, but um, if anyone out there knows about the play that goes wrong, and I'm not saying you should travel all the way into Coshocton, Ohio, to see my version of it, but it is uh, a hilarious play. It's very trendy right now. Uh, I know of three other productions within this past year that happened just in our general area. And um, I believe I saw the Peter Pan that goes wrong. So it's a similar idea, but with Peter Pan is coming to Broadway this coming spring. So it's, it's from Britain. It's a British properly uh, property originally. And it's something that is, is, is starting to really gain traction in the United States with its popularity. And listeners, if you're enjoying hearing Leonard's voice, you can hear more Leonard at the Nitty Gritty Wrestling Podcast, which is not only an audio, but it also is on YouTube. So you can get to see Leonard and hear Leonard with his co-host, mm-hmm. Chad Webb. I've watched a few of the episodes, and I was you guys recently did a breakdown of like your top 10 wrestling matches of like the 80s, the 70s, the, yeah. the 90s. That guy's working yeah, your way yeah. all the way up. And I, I, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed so, that. I enjoyed because you guys were doing some deep dives. Yeah, well, it was a, for our hundredth episode. We cut, we kind of cut that up in the segments. So we did like our top three. So his and mine. So about six altogether, and some honorable mentions uh, before 1980 of the 80s or the 90s of the aughts and the teens. And that's been some of our most watched stuff, uh, oddly enough, and the stuff we've gotten the most comments on from people. So, yeah, it's basically just Chad and I kind of sitting at our screens, talking back and forth. It's more of a podcast, but we tape it, too, to throw online. And we do some shorts, which are about 10 minutes. We do longer things, which are more than a half hour. And like I said, we've just eclipsed 100 episodes. And it's more old school wrestling stuff than new stuff. But, um, you know, we're both wrestling fans from way back. And I, I say this all the time on our show. I don't watch a lot of the current product because I really don't care for it. But I still really like a lot of the old wrestling. And if I go to watch wrestling, I'll find, I'll go to WWE on the Peacock Network and find something old or find something old on YouTube. I, and that's the thing. There's been so much pro wrestling. There is tons of stuff from the 70s, 80s, 90s that not even I have even heard of or seen yet. So I can still find new things out there even if I'm going to the old school stuff. And I just, I, I loved wrestling late seventies into the eighties to me, George, the animal steel, Andre, the giant, uh, Ric Flair, dusty Rhodes. I, I, what can you say? I just, I just enjoy it. They had, they had some Randy, the macho man, savage, yeah. know, they had interesting storylines. I, I, I just, I enjoyed it. I, I got into it just like a lot of people did. Yeah, the name's some of my favorites. Now, Steve, forgive me if I don't remember. Were you at Monster Back in the year that we had George the Animal Steel? No. Now you're gonna, now oh. you make me feel sad. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to mention mentioned that. Bit. But but we had George Steele because, of course, he played Tor Johnson in the Ed Wood movie, and he wrestled in the Pittsburgh area for, for years back in the late 60s and 70s. And so Ron asked me to do the Q&A with George since I was a wrestling fan. And I knew all about that side of his career. And I had uh, was privileged to have dinner with George and his wife two nights when they came to Bash. And it was interesting. And Dan Weber, friend of the Bash, friend of, the, of your show, I'm sure, uh, sat, was with us. And he drove George back and forth to the airport. And when we had dinner, George would be telling stories. And he'd be like, so, yeah, I went down to Georgia for a little bit. And they had me debut with um, – 
blonde hair guy. What's his name? I said, Tommy Rich. Yeah, yeah, Tommy Rich. And he was doing this the whole time. I'm like, is his memory going? And Dan told me that when he drove George to the airport, he did that on purpose because he wanted to see how much I knew if I was going to be interviewing him on stage. And he said, Leonard knows a lot. So I took that as a great compliment. It's like testing out. So, okay, what is this guy's knowledge? You know, because there's always people that say they know all this stuff. I admit, there's the things I watched and enjoyed, I know. Am I a wrestling historian? No, no, no. no. But, you know, but I'm I a fan of the good stuff. Be, yeah. Yeah. And I try not to claim to be either. I don't have any inside connections, but I've watched so much and enjoyed so much. And, you know, Chad and I always try to put over we're just two fans having a conversation that any two fans might have. And you're just listening in because we do fantasy booking and we talk about, Hey, do you remember this guy? Oh yeah. I remember that guy. Kind of that stuff, a little more organized than what maybe say a general conversation would be, but that's kind of our uh, idea. You know, if we're just two fans, we don't claim to be more than that. And that's the same thing. Like with this show, sometimes I'll have people on here that are very knowledgeable on certain topics. And other times, you know, you get people that are like you're, you're myself, you and myself, where we're just, fans of the movie and we're going to talk about it and break it down things that we enjoyed and felt could be improved on it. And to give mm -hmm. an idea of people that might want to go see this movie and the movie we're going to be doing when I was, mm -hmm. as Leonard mentioned earlier, I'm not sure if you mentioned it when we're on Mike, but at monster bash this past October, I was talking to him. Hey, do you want to be on this show? And I explained to him the premise and Leonard's like, sure, I'll be on this show. And so I had the dice with me and people can now realize Leonard, the dice are real, aren't they? I don't make up that I have genre dice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and actually, I think I let you roll the dice and you rolled yeah. fan fantasy and action. And the way we're doing it nowadays, when, when people roll both dice, they can pick an action movie, they can pick a fantasy movie, or they can combine the two together. And Leonard, you did what? I did. Hey, if you're going to do it, do it. What's the fun of doing one or the other? So I combined it together and I rolled fancy action, as you said, and I sat there for a second and I said, you know what? The first movie that comes to mind for me is Crawl. And you said, I knew you were going to say Crawl. So I said, well, then we got to do Crawl then, don't we? And the funny thing is, I had probably not seen that movie in more than 30 years before I rewatched it for the show here today. When I was a kid, this came out in 1983, late 80s. It was on HBO all the time. That's where I remember watching it. And the two things I most remember about it is the glaive and the fire mares, and neither of which were quite as cool as I remember them in rewatching this. I would say, you know, before I throw it back to you, if anyone hasn't seen Crawl, I would best describe it as Star Wars meets King Arthur with some Sinbad and Lord of the Rings thrown in there. It's definitely a hodgepodge of different types of um, genre-type movies put together. Yeah. I saw this movie in the theater when it first ran. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I would have been four at the time that, that Crawl came out. Yes, and I'm doubtful your parents would have taken you to see that type of movie. Where I, on yeah. the other hand, was 14 going on 15 seeing this movie. So I was the prime target age for it. And I even had the comic book adaptation of it 
I think I still have that at home. Yeah. Man. Well, I just I just realized this year this is the 40th anniversary of Crawl, so this is excellent that we're doing this. And, and yeah, I remember because I I was looking up stuff and I saw the comic book covers, and I remember seeing those covers. I don't think I ever had it, but I probably saw it out in the wild at a comic book shop or something at some point because I do remember the covers when I looked it up. They, they even, they've even did a comic book adaptation of Xanadu. So they did, back then they did comic book adaptations of virtually everything. <laughs> yeah, Marvel was big, big into that. I know I had the Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, that they did, the adaptation of that. Um, I think DC had the Star Trek license because I know I had Star Trek 2 and 3. But other than that, most of your movie uh, adaptations came from Marvel, I think. And over the years... I've seen it many, many times. I own it on Blu-ray, and when you brought it up, it's the movie to do. I'd seen it just a couple of years again prior watching it with my kids. I think the second or third time we all, as a family, had seen it. So they enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed this movie. So it, to me, it has legs. Yes, there are certain things that hold don't hold up as well as they did back in the day, but then there's other things you notice as you get older and, and it probably didn't pay attention to when you were 14 years old and, and didn't realize it. Yeah. You know, I, I do agree that I think it still holds up in a lot of ways. Like I think it still looks good even for a film from 1983, like the beginning when they're out kind of like writing to find the glaive, that all looks good. And even though like the swamp and the cave, the spider cave scene is all on sound stages. Um, it looks good. I still think it looks looks really good. The actually the part of the movie I think looks the worst is actually the the fire mares because you can really tell that's a matte screen behind them when you watch it in HD today. And I noticed that they don't you you never get what you, what they call a two shot. You either get a close up of the guy riding the horse or you get a far shot of what are probably models of the horses, but you never get like the guy and the horse and the flames off the feet, like all in the same, all in the same shot. So that's the only thing that I think really looks shoddy actually is the fire mares. Everything else I think looks really, really good. And the other thing I'll mention right here that I loved about the film rewatching it is the score, which is done by James Horner, uh, which who did uh, star Trek II: the wrath of Khan just before this, which is my favorite score of any movie. And of course, he would go on to do a lot of James Cameron films, including Aliens and Titanic, which is probably what he's best known for. But the score is James Horner. And that, those are the two things I think that I found that I loved about this movie in the rewatch was the score and the fact that I do think it looks really nice. And when you listen to the score, you'll hear that Rafa Khan influence in some parts yes. of the scores. It's, it's unmistakable because I remember when I was rewatching, I'm like, I've heard because it has that, it has that nice overture when it's opening up so you can really yeah. just live the score feel and breathe it like uh, that's, it's so old school even for for 80s movie that's old school that's like back in the 60s and 70s when they used to do that so mm -hmm. it's a nice throwback where you got to get the feel your emotions and your vibe are getting into it and you can hear those those notes and you're like never, never, and then you, you you're since you're not really seeing anything happening in the film yet because except it's the credits you're able to reflect a little bit you're like wait a minute oh star trek yeah, well, that's one of the things I didn't really look much up before I started to watch the movie. And, uh, like, when it started, I go, wow, this is, wait a minute, 
is this James Horner? And I immediately looked it up. And I was like, oh, it is James Horner. So that excited me right right away. But yeah, I mean, you can you can hear that influence, and I think it's good. Uh, again, as you said, it it gives it a certain weight from the get go. Um, you know, Crawl wanted to be an epic sci-fi movie like a Star Wars. There's also, I think, a lot of Excalibur in there, which came out a couple years before, which was the huge retelling of the King Arthur mythos. And it's interesting to mention that Liam Neeson is in both the movies. He's in Excalibur and he's in this. And he kind of plays a similar part. He's like just one of the guys. You know, he's he's one of the thieves in this. He's one of the knights in Excalibur. And he's just kind of there. So this was an early role for him. And uh, to also mention Robbie Coltrane, who died recently within the course of us recording this uh he's in this as well he's one of the thieves in the very beginning and he's dubbed there's two people dubbed in the movie he's one and the actress who plays uh lisa lisette anthony is dubbed as well uh which i was reading some trivia on that and she was only 19 at the time and i guess they wanted her to sound older and more mature and so the and again for the american market they wanted her to sound more american and I forget who now the actress, uh, I think it's Patsy Krause or Patty Krause is the name um, that, that did the dubbing for her. But you can obviously tell she's, because again, that was another thing. I started watching it and I go, is she being dubbed? And then I looked it up and found out that they were the only two that oddly enough were dubbed in the whole cast. It's, it's kind of weird. I want, I want to go back to what you said about the fire mares and how you said it probably oh, sure. didn't, it didn't hold up. Now, when you watch this, it probably least, get back in the day. At least for me, yeah. Because, well, well, you remember when you first saw it, you were watching it on TV. So, since you were seeing it, especially back then, when we're talking about the small, small screen, yeah. And sure. when I saw it initially, it was in the theater, and it didn't, it didn't work to them. You know, I remember looking, I was like, okay, I, I, I forgave it, and I still forgive it because I'm like, they were just trying to do, it, and I know what they're trying to do, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it worked for what it had to do, but it wasn't the best effect that it could have been. And so with the, no. even at 14, I realized this effect is not working as well as it could. Well, in my mind, and again, I probably saw this when I was eight, nine, 10 years old originally, that they were like these huge, almost Clydesdale looking, you know, like beef horses. And then they're just regular horses. And they have like their gallops, like tuned up to 11. Like they're just so loud. And again, the fire effect, the idea, I get the idea. They're running so fast that the friction is causing fire. And that's a cool idea, but the effect just doesn't work. And again, I think that's one of the few things here that probably doesn't work with the effects. Well, I like mostly is that they have a lot of practical effects because this is that transitional yeah. decade where things are going from practical to more um, computer generated or, 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 visual with the lighting. I mean, not computer generated in this one, but they're, they're starting to switch yeah. the effects with star Wars was such a big thing. Six years prior, everything is starting yeah. to go that direction. Well, Tron, I believe was also 83. And that was, I think the first film that used all CGI or mostly CGI. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the, this, this was right at that sweet spot. It'd be interesting to see what a remake of crawl might look like today with CGI, even though I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of CGI all the time. I think the more stuff you can do practical, you should do. 
and you should only rely on CGI if it's something that you just can't figure out how to do in camera. Well, that's why I think a lot of the effects hold up well is because they are practical. And when you see yeah. old CGI, um, last Starfighter, I think might have been the first or one of the first ones to use computer-generated yes. images. And I think you're right, Tron was right after that. Yeah, Tron. I, I, last Starfighter might have been 83 as well or might have been 82. But it was, I mean, they were all right around this. And again, because of the success of Star Wars in 77 and the sequels, space movies, anything involving space, like you could have done crawl as like an ancient, you know, middle earth thing, like more like Lord of the Rings, but because of star Wars, Oh, we have to set it on a planet far, far away instead of making it some sort of, of, of primordial on earth thing. Uh, and, and of course it should be mentioned the sword and sandal genre was becoming popular at this time as well. And there's some of that in there, but actually, Crawl started production from what I was reading around 1980, as far as getting the script put together. And I think Conan the Barbarian didn't come out till 81. 82. Beast, 82, thank you. But, you know, Beastmaster, which I think has some Crawlish-like elements to it, you could say, was around this time, too. So, uh, again, I, I don't know if I would call this sword and sorcery, but it's in the ballpark. I think it's drawing a lot more on trying to be a mix of Star Wars and King Arthur. And I'm fine with, with movies that wanted to combine all these different mythos because it, sure. just, it just works well. And I think the Slayers is a thing that's just an iconic look. I mean, when you see the yeah. Slayers, and especially backlit or they're coming out, from they're, they're, they come out from all over the place doing different things with them. It is so wonderful to watch that and to see that they, they did a great job. I know there were certain things that they were limited what the Slayers could do because of the costuming, but mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't have more stick. They, they couldn't do as much movement and things like that. But I loved how they, they were able to shoot once and then they went to their melee weapon. So they had the ranged weapon shot and then they would switch their weapon around and then they would go to melee. And I thought that was kind of neat, you know, with the design and everything. I thought it was pretty well thought out with how the Slayers, the visual part looked. I think it could have had more of a practical use where they could have did more um, physical mm-hmm. stuff with them, and which I think they rehearsed but weren't able to use once the costumes were finished. Yeah, they definitely have like a, like a Space Knight look to them type of thing, which, which yeah, the, Slay- the Slayers are cool. I enjoyed that. Now I'm thinking in my head, one thing I didn't find out is I wonder if there were crawl action figures. Be, be, or, or I could see someone making those today be, because I was just thinking, you know, you got to have, when you have action figures, you got to have your evil army. You know, you had like the, 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 the Crimson Guard and the Vipers for G.I. Joe and, and uh, things like that. So the Slayers are great army, army pieces. I, I, one thing, if you, it, I will mention why we're here, we're talking memorabilia and merchandising for Crawl. Uh, Steve, did you ever see or play the crawl video game? No, I never did. Um, yeah, there's, well, there's an Atari 2600 version and then there's also an arcade game, which I have played. I live near Columbus, Ohio, and, uh, there's several barcades, which they're bars with arcade games that are on free play. And one of them had crawl, which I played a few years ago. And it's because, Oh, I remember that movie. And it's sort of like the Tron video game. It's like five mini games kind of put together. And it's, it's hard to play because it's two joysticks, not a fire button. So 
your left stick controls Calwin, Corwin. I don't know how to say his name, the hero. And then your right stick is the glaive. So you can be walking up on the screen and be firing down at the same time. And, and because of that, you have enemies coming at you from all over the place. And, and, and it's really weird because of that. The first screen is you're walking like up a mountain with a rock slide coming down as you're collecting the glaive parts. And then um, the next screen, I think you're fighting the slayers. The third screen, you're collecting the thieves to form your band. The fourth screen is you're, you're fighting to get into the Black Fortress, and then you fight the beast on the, on the fifth screen. And if you win, it just recycles and you do it all again, and it's a little bit, a little bit harder. But I think that's the first time I ever saw a game with two joysticks, even though I knew that that was some games used that, but it was a really weird dynamic if you're used to like pushing a button to, to fire. That's true. I, I used to play um, Robotron. Um, a yeah, use two joysticks if I remember right. One to move your character, one to do the fighting, which is always cool because you're you're backpedaling and moving around as you're using the joystick. Yeah. And another one, oh, this one was frustrating sometimes. Crazy Climber had two joysticks. And oh, I don't know Crazy Climber. I know Robotron, and Robotron is similar to the crawl game. Yeah. Yep. So that was, you know, I enjoyed Robotron. I went for it went for a lot of quarters. Uh, let's put it that way in my youth. Yeah. Uh, Find old days of spending the afternoon in the arcade and five dollars used to you get a lot of when parents give you five dollars you're like oh you're gonna be good for a good long time <laughs> yeah well I I tell you my um, grandmother her fourth husband uh, they would come and get me when I was a kid and we would go to the mall and she would go shopping and he would give me twenty bucks and send me into the arcade which was called the gold mine and he would sit outside and smoke cigarettes when you could still smoke indoors, smoke at the mall. So yeah. So he would, they would come get me and I would still have quarters left. I was going to say $20. You, you better have something left or you, or you were really right. bad at your games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, he, he was my favorite of her, of her five total husbands. <laughs> Are we going to the, the mall? Yay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what can you say? He was, he was definitely um, helping your, helping at your hobby that way. Uh, yes. So I think we both had good first impressions with the movie and, and, and yeah. enjoying it. Uh, Peter Yates was the director. Yeah. And going through, and I thought he, I thought he did a good job, you know, trying to get through. Cause you, when you have an effects movie and I know the script was something that they kept working on and working on and mm-hmm. they're changing things around on sets and so on from what I read, but I, I think he did for what he had of a good movie, you know, that I enjoyed. And I remember being disappointed that it was a box office failure uh, at the time, because I was really looking forward to crawl too, because as we all know, you know, these two are supposed to get in their son's supposed to rule the galaxy. Well, you never know. The sequel still could come out. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, there's been plenty of movies where the sequels come out 40 years later. So who knows? Uh, Yeah. I think I would probably blame it on oversaturation. There was just, we talked, we talked about a few minutes ago, there were so many, oh, hey, this is like Star Wars movies that came out. Some of the other things we talked about, Tron didn't do well. Last Starfire didn't do well. I think it was just oversaturation. There was too many sci-fi space epics that were coming out in the wake of Star Wars and they got lost or people got burned out on them. It happens. I mean, it's, 
some people are saying that might happen soon with the superhero genre that's going on where it's, yeah. hit, it's hit the oversaturation point. Other people say, oh, it'll never end. Every bubble always bursts, you know, and eventually if there's things that'll mm-hmm. ride out because people back in the day used to think Westerns would never go out of style. And yeah, mm-hmm. things, things change and they go ebb and flow. This movie has, I thought, a decent ebb and flow. I was kind of surprised. One thing I didn't realize when I was looking at the length of the movie to see how long it was be, I was surprised that it was two hours. Yeah. I think it's a little long at two hours. You, what I would do is, because they make finding where the Black Fortress is at a, a double plot point. Because first they have to find the seer, and then they have to take the seer to the swamp. And then they have to go find the widow of the web. So like they're doing it twice. So I think that you could have just maybe have done the, we go see the seer. He can't help us. He tells us about the widow of the web, eliminate the swamp part, or just have them get to the swamp. Cause that's where the cave's at. And I think you could have streamlined that middle section a little bit. And if not cut time, maybe add some character work to some of the thieves because like there's the part where the, the first guy dies in the quicksand. I had no idea who that guy was. He was just a dude, but I couldn't tell you his name. I couldn't tell you what he did. He was just a guy. And uh, I know our good friend, Tom Shabila uh, wrote an article about this on Monster Bash magazine that we all thought as kids that quicksand was going to be a lot bigger problem in our lives than it eventually wound up being. Well, supposedly this wasn't really quicksand because they said it was the power of the beast that made the ground absorb them in. So it kind of makes yeah. it interesting. Is it really quicksand or was it the beast using some kind of power to make the ground sink on them? All of us. I don't know. It's kind of, it's, yeah. But yeah, but I used to always think quicksand was everywhere growing up as we all did watching TV and movies. You're yeah. thinking, you think if you went too far from your house, you're going to go into that quicksand. Yeah. Well, it still had quicksand like properties, even though if it wasn't technically quicksand, it had quicksand like properties. So. Now, let me ask you this is the one part we haven't talked about yet, Steve. What did you think about the whole, the cave and the spider sequence and the stuff with, with the widow of the web and the old man and all that, that whole sequence. What did you think of that part? That is one of my favorite sequences because the spider is just so cool. Yeah. It's done spider so well. Good. I, was, I was surprised how good the spider looked still. I thought it was going to look cheesy and I don't think it does. I think it looks nice. I, I think there's CGI companies that wish they could do the spider as well as they did in this movie, you know, yeah. using obviously stop motion, I would assume and yeah. the effects and, well, you know, right around this time, uh, Disney made uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which I love. Um, but there was a sequence with a spider that they were using, trying to use CGI for, and they scrapped it because it looked horrible. Now, again, this is at the beginning of, of using CGI. This is prior to Tron. Uh, but they scrapped it because it, it looked really bad. But again, that's an example of, hey, we want to do a spider, and it didn't work. But the spider here, I think, looks good. And I think the web, especially in the close-ups, Cause that's pretty easy to do a web effect. But when the old man is kind of traversing the webs, I think that looks good. And that's not just an old man. Come on. That's Freddie Jones yes. playing, playing you near. And I love 
any movie where Freddie Jones is in. I mean, you, you know you're going to get a solid performance from that character as the role of the the, the old one that comes the the old, old one, comes one. from the Granite Mountains. <laughs> I kept calling him old man, but old one is technically what they call him. Yes. And you just look, he, he does a great role. It's, it's basically, he's the Obi-Wan to yeah. Colwyn's or Ken Marshall's Luke Skywalker type character. But mm-hmm. you could say that but it's always been that way in the hero's journey. You always have the older yeah. hero well, passing on the torch. Yeah. He's Merlin. He's Obi-Wan. He even dies halfway through. So Exactly. And he, and he dies. I thought it was amazing. And when I read when he's going across those webs, he's not wearing a harness. Because the harness was going to show, he has no safety things at oh. all. He's doing that. Uh, he's doing that. If he was to fall at his mm-hmm. age and everything, that would probably have been it. So when he's gripping on that stuff, that's real, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> One thing that did catch me about that, that I thought was funny was the fact that so the he he was married to the widow of the web, and I think that's a really neat storyline that I wish they would maybe done more with. But the fact that her name is Lisa. And so Lisa. is Lisa. Lisa. It's, it's, I keep wanting to say, I, I want to say Lisa because Lisa was such a popular name in the 1980s that this is Lisa. But Corwin's, you know, betrothed is Lisa. She's Lisa. It reminded me of the double Martha in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. It's like, why did you say that name? And it's the same thing here where, where the old one is like, well, her name's Lisa, you know, just like yours. You should be interested in helping her. So that kind of that kind of made me laugh. Well, yeah, because, you know, she has an ancient name, and, and obviously it's meaning that not many people have it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting thing because they had an interesting little backstory. If they were to talk about it or do it, you're taking away from the movie you're doing now. And I can, yeah, so I think it was too much into, yeah. but I liked how they showed her young, you know, where, where they took the old age makeup off the actress. So you mm-hmm. can see what you look like. And I like how they did it. I, I can see myself in your vision, you know, and that was like her gift. Yeah, that was, that was a really great part. I think that, that all she asked was, I want to see me as you see me. That, that whole that's the best written part of the movie. I think is the dialogue they have and that concept, because even within like this five minute scene, and again, this goes to how good the actors are. You understand the connection and the relationship that they had. And I thought that was just a great concept of all I asked for is to be able to see me as you see me and how he still sees her as she was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Very nice without. Yeah. I don't think we need, to see their connection more. I agree with you there, but yeah, what we do gets really nice. It, 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 I agree with you. That's why my favorite sequence in the whole movie. Yeah, it's, it's not only the best in dial, one of the better dialogue scenes, acted scenes, mm-hmm. special effects scenes. I mean, it's, it is the special effects scene in the movie for me, the, the, the web yeah. and the spider. It's, it, you said it's good to me. It's, I know you, you probably were underselling a little bit to me. It's awesome. It is just, Something I want people to see. Just see that part of the movie. You know, it might be available on YouTube or somebody might have cut it where that five, ten minute segment is there. And yeah. you could pretty much watch the whole thing and really get a good get a good deal. And it you wouldn't even know what's happening in other parts of the movie, but he gets this stuff and he goes out and, uh, and of course he has to sacrifice his life in order to do it. Um mm-hmm. 
in the end, to get that piece of information to them because that is what they're fated to do. Everything is fated. It's fated. Yeah. It's fated yeah. to well, go we'll talk about Talking about fated, someone we haven't talked about yet is the Cyclops character. Real. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't write down his name. I just wrote Cyclops and all my stuff. <laughs> but, but that was one thing. See, again, I think there are parts of, of, the, of the script that don't jive. And his thing is, like, the Cyclops uh, have the power to see the future, but only see their own death, to only see their own end. And there's the part where they're leaving to the Black Fortress, and he can't go with them because it is, it is my time. I can't go with you. And then they get there, but then he comes in at the end behind and saves everybody. And then he gets squished with the wall. So I was wondering, well, is that the fate that he always saw for himself? And if it was, couldn't he have told them, hey, I'm going to be there. I'm just going to be there late. You're shaking. As people listening, you can't see. Steve and I yeah. are on video. Steve's shaking his head no. So I'll let you explain it to me. Yeah, I, I was about to say to him, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there because what it said is their fate is when they know when they're going to die, but it would be more of a peaceful death. Or like a, but if they were to fight it or try to change their fate, then their death is much oh. worse. So yes. he okay. chose, and that was explained by Twitch, the boy, when he was talking to Ergo, the Magnificent. And, yeah. uh, which we'll get to those guys in a little bit, but so that was explained. And so, yes, he, he did go out. He did die and he died like a boss. I mean, he he went up and I don't, by the way, one thing I want to make sure we mentioned, we're not going to spoil the ending. So we wouldn't be careful how far we go into um, spoiler territory. Okay. Well, I mean, (laughs) it's it's a 40 year old film. If you haven't seen it by now, I I don't know. I take a different approach in that. There's a, we, I could bring out a 90 year old film. I'm sure that you've never seen. And, and you'll be like, sure. Oh, you know, so, and with the new generation, because we have listeners that are in their teenage years and twenties, they probably never seen okay. this film. So I'm, I'm always leery to spoil too much, you know, like, so I don't want to spoil the end. I just make, we can go okay. up. I think talking about this fine, this part is fine, but I'm just, I'm just like giving you a warning. I don't want to spoil the outcome. Sure, we won't, we won't get into, say, the final, the final 10 or 15 minutes of the movie then. And, ju- and just a sidebar, you know, I don't think I care about spoilers because I personally don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm about the journey, not the destination. I can know how a movie ends and still enjoy it and see if it works in that regard. So that's a problem I have. I'll, I'll spoil something because I don't care. So thank you for calling me out because I probably would have jumped ahead and talked about that. And I'm fine with, I'm like you, I don't mind things being spoiled for me, but I'm not, but people listening, I try to, I try Mm -hmm. to to avoid, sometimes on occasion, there are certain movies we talk about where we have to, dang it, we have to talk about, you want to talk about the, if we're sitting here talking about the movie and we've both seen it, we want to talk about, oh, well, does this work? Does this not work? as far as being a surprise or how it fits narratively, et cetera, et cetera. So, or if we're talking about a sequel to a movie and you got to talk about how the other movie ended because you're going into a sequel. Um, but those Mm -hmm. are things people should know going, if they know they're going into something where you're talking about a sequel, you know, that you got to talk about, or you're going to figure out what happened in the first one. Yeah. (laughs) in the first film, I mean, and how many times do you watch part two before you watch part one? You know, I mean, sometimes it might pop up and, you might throw actually oddly enough i i remember distinctly i watched scream 2 before i saw the first movie just years 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 ago 
And I was watching it with my sister who had already seen both of the first two movies. And um, she, because I always have a reputation of like trying to figure movies out. So she, so she said to me, she said, oh, you haven't seen the first one. We're going to watch this. I think, you, you know, you don't need to see the first one. And about 10 minutes in, I said, the killer, and I won't ruin it, the killer is that guy and that woman. And she goes, how did you know that? And I said, well, you don't hire this actress to be in the movie for two minutes. And that guy over there has no other reason to be in the movie. Yeah. I've, I've done that with movies too, where you, you, there's certain performers or whatever, you can just say, oh, it's going to go this direction. And, and yeah, it's got to, why else would they be there? Yeah. Basil, my dad used to tell me that's the Basil Rathbone effect. He goes, Basil, if he's not playing Sherlock Holmes, he's usually the baddie. That's what my dad used to always tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But getting back to but, getting, uh, getting back to Crawl, yeah. Bernard mm-hmm. Breslau, Breslau played Rel the Cyclops, and I thought he did a good job mm-hmm. because he yeah. could, he could barely see, but the prosthetic that they put on him to, to do the eye and the way they were able to remote control the movement, I thought was well done because there's a lot of mm-hmm. Cyclops effects after that movie even came out that don't do it as well as they did there with the practical effects. I think now obviously with CGI, it would look wonderful. But I mean, for considering that 1983, 40 years ago, it is a wonderful effect. And I think he, he did a great job. And the man was tall me, six foot seven, or was. Mm-hmm. And he, he was able to play off this role. And, and yes, you do have a lot of characters and we don't learn a lot about all of them. But it, you know, it, it's the movie that the time the movie keeps moving along and really just focuses on the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah. I think it was great. I remember I, I read probably the same thing you did that there was like a small pinhole that he could see out of, but he could barely see. And there were like some sequences, like when they're going through the swamp where he's actually getting guided by some of the other actors. You can, if you really look, you can kind of see them, leading him because he can't see where he's going. So I think that really shows how good of an actor you are. If you pile a bunch of prosthetics on top of somebody and they're still giving a strong performance, that shows how good of an actor that they are. And I thought he was, he was really good. And yeah, I agree that I've been looking at today. You go, Oh, well that's definitely a prosthetic, but yeah, I mean, that's what they had to work with. And I agree with you. If you watch other movies that have a Cyclops, it looks good here compared to some other ones. Oh, I think so. I mean, it's it's done it's done really well. Um, now he's his pal in the movie is Ergo the Magnificent, and we can't say Ergo the Magnificent without saying his his classic line that he starts off with. And I'll quote it, ladies yeah. and gentlemen: "I am Ergo yeah. the Magnificent, short in stature, tall in power, narrow of purpose, and wide of vision." That's a great line. I, I, I love that. And I remembered that too. I told you the two things I most remember is the fire mayors and the uh, glaive. But I did remember his line when he popped up. I was like, oh. And it should be mentioned the actor is David uh, Batley, uh, who is probably best known as the school teacher in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, done other stuff, but I, I guarantee if anybody watches that, they're going to go, oh, that's Willy Wonka's story. Charlie Buckets, not Willy Wonka, but Charlie Buckets' teacher from that movie. That's probably what he's best known for. And he's the comic relief. And I, I, I think he's fine. I, I got Michael Palin vibes off of him 
uh, with this. Uh, and I don't know if there's a movie that necessarily needs a comedic relief, but I think he's fine for the role that he has. I thought I enjoyed him. I mean, there's some people that don't like him. Some people do like, I I'm on the camp that likes it. I enjoy it. You know, this was the normal thing. You usually had the comic relief character in this movie. He's the, really the only one. There are some other little yeah. minor comic scenes in the movie. Um, but he provides that, but he also, he provides the, um, protection and the warmth with Twitch, the boy, um, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. And cause he's a shapeshifter. And, um, and, and there's some, so there's a lot of comedy going on there, but also there's some warmth with it. And I think the line when he and um, real are separating, you know, cause real's going to says, I got to stay behind as we talked about earlier because I'm fading mm -hmm. to, and, and he comes up to him, not knowing that yet. And says, Oh, I guess I'll ride with you. And he goes, no, I have to stay here. And he goes, I understand. And our, he goes, we just didn't have the time you know, you could tell that the, even though it wasn't really shown as much, as but you can just gather that there's times when they're they're camping and they're walking these two are really developing a bond um, yeah you you get that yeah i think you do get that again i think there's so much that you could have done more with if you restructured it a little bit but i do think that you get the the ergo and cyclops connection and the connection with twitch too they they're kind of their own little trio in, in, in the film that I think works nice. And I like, I don't, I didn't make a note. So the actor who played Twitch, the little boy, a lot of times kids in these movies or any movie can be annoying. I don't think he is. I think he comes off as very nice. I, I, I think he, he's decent. I wouldn't say he's the best kid actor I've ever seen, but he's decent. And it certainly wasn't to the point where Twitch would show up and I go, Oh God, can we just get rid of Twitch? Which a lot of other kids in a lot of other movies, I feel that way about. So I, 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 I think, he was he was fine. I, I, I keep saying the word fine. Everybody's fine, but but yeah, most of the most of the actors I think did well with everything that they were at least given here in the film. And uh, I'll agree with you because I I remember seeing Black Adam not that long ago, and I did not care for the child actor in that one at all. And of course, he was prominently shown. I'm just like, oh my god, I just didn't care for him at all. So sometimes you get these 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 child ones. And I'm not blaming the child actor. The way he was written was just like, oh, right, right. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, because these are kids. They're, even if they're a professional actor, you know, they've only been doing it for probably two or three years, what have you. So, and again, the way it's written and the way it's directed and the way it's edited, um, you know, some kids are going to come off better than others. I think it's the truly talented ones that will shine through no matter why. If you go back in time and you look at a Shirley Temple, I mean, she just had it. No matter, you know, no matter what. So the good one, or Macaulay Culkin even. I mean, you watch the first two Home Alones, he's fantastic. And even Uncle Buck, he's fantastic in. So, you know, the good ones are going to shine through, and the other ones, it depends a lot on what you do with them. Oh, I agree. And, and speaking of good ones, Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane, you brought up earlier, are part of the, yeah. the, um, the gang, the bandits, the ex-cons, yeah. whatever you want to call them. But yeah. Liam Neeson's Keegan. I just love it. I love the way you could watch him. I was this particular time I was watching him more in the background, seeing what he was doing mm -hmm. and those kind of things. And I was just enjoying how he was handling certain spots and how he was, you could just tell it's like, Oh, this is a guy that's going to go up and move somewhere. And you could really just enjoy how he, what he was bringing to it. Yes. It's a small role, but it's a pivotal role. And it, and, it, and his is fleshed out a little more than mm -hmm. other than the other bandits. You know, so it's it worked out well. I think it worked out nice. 
Yeah, of all the bands, he's probably gets the most uh, backstory and, and 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 business to do. I like the fact that they mentioned he has like a wife in every village, and and the way he plays that off is like, well, of course I do. Like, who wouldn't? I mean, that's just the way you do it, you know. Uh, so so yeah, I really did enjoy him in this, and I think it's always it's fun for me to watch an old movie like this where it has maybe the debut or an early role of someone who would become a big actor. And sometimes you can see, like you said with him, even when he's not the focus of the scene, he's in the moment. And, you know, we talked about earlier about me being in a play and I've done other plays. And that's the biggest thing that I try to do is if I don't have a line, if I'm standing, you know, in the back of the set, I'm paying attention to what's going on and I'm trying to act like, oh, I'm hearing this for the first time. I'm watching this for the first time. And I think Liam Neeson, uh, and again, we mentioned he was an Excalibur too, his early roles. I think you see that. And he comes from the theater. You get that from the theater. But yeah, he's excellent in this. And I I don't know if at the time, I probably didn't think much of it at the time. Uh, but while we're here, I think we need to mention Liam Neeson, early role, Dark Man. That's good stuff. If you haven't seen Dark Man, and for you Sam Raimi fans, yeah, check Dark- out check out some Dark Man. Yeah, Dark Man's excellent. And um, for those listening to this, he has another movie coming out in February. I think the middle of February, where he's playing Marlowe. Yeah, I w- I just watched a trailer to that the other day from when we're recording this, and uh, I'm excited for it. I like old film noir detective stuff. Um, I like the Marlowe from, I forget the year, but the James Garner did. Uh, I like that movie. Uh, so I'm interested in checking this one out. I'm looking forward to it. And it's also got Jessica Lange. So I'm, I'm already like the two, mm-hmm. two actors in. I'm just yeah. excited to see it. So yeah, good cast. It has, it has, it has a good cast. That doesn't necessarily always translate, but I think it helps you have a better chance of doing it, but I'm interested in seeing that as well. Yeah. Now, the other bandit who's gets who gets the major focus is Torquil. 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 That's one of the Tor, other. Torquil. Tor, yeah. There's so many names in here that I don't know how to say. But Alan, even though they say them in the movie, I still don't know how to pronounce them. Yeah. Alan um, Armstrong, and of course he's mm-hmm. the, he's the lead bandit. He's the you know and that kind of stuff. And I thought I thought they they fleshed him out. He did a good job. I, yeah. I enjoyed his, his physicality. I enjoyed his relationship with Liam Neeson's character, Keegan. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you, you could just see it there. I, I could see how, if this movie was updated, how his role would be different and how he might be more antagonistic to Colwyn because a lot of his guys keep dying, you know, off. And I was waiting mm-hmm. for, because you get used to more of my things, well, it's all your fault. But, but he doesn't say that because they all volunteered to do it. Um, yeah. So, but I was like, I'm so used to, even though I've seen this movie so many times before and should remember that he never says that, but he gives that look um, where you're, you know, where he's like, we shouldn't have come or whatever. But yeah, in the yeah. end, I thought, I thought it was, a, you know, the, the physicality and the, and the, the physical performance he did was well. Yeah. I think he still maintains being, cause he's a rogue, a bad guy next con. And I don't remember if there was promise of pay or promise of them just being all exonerated of their crimes or whatever. But, I mean, he's doing it for an end goal. He's just not going with Corwin to do it. Ah. So I think so. I think he plays it nicely in the fact that, yeah, I mean, we're doing this. But, again, as you said, there's looks of we shouldn't be here. I don't want to do this. 
um, type of thing. I don't know if, if this would be a spoiler, but at the at, at the end, he is given a reward. That's 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 mentioned. He's given a a, a job. We'll say um, at the end of the film, if you if you remember that part. Well, he gets he basically he is offered a reward early on because this, this is quoting from the movie because I, I like I yeah. like I like what he, Torkel says after he gets told this. The prince says, "It's like the re, what he's like. What reward am I going to get?" And basically, this is the quote. Now, the reward is freedom. And fame. And Torkel responds, freedom? We have it. And fame? Nah, it's an empty purse. Count it, go broke. Eat it, go hungry. Seek it, go mad. And then, I didn't write this part down, but this is when Yanir was talk to him about fame is something you can leave to your sons. And that's when it hits Torkel. He goes, how did you know I have sons? Yeah, and, that's what it was. Yeah. And it was the legacy. It was the legacy that you can take this taint that you have now and you can change it into something where your sons and your son's sons and well, so on and so on will be proud of you, of what you've done. And that is what changes his mind. It was Janir. That's what it was. I do. It was, it was something you know, they were going a promise, quote unquote, as I do air quotes in an audio cast. Uh, you know, there was a promise of something. I just didn't remember how that scene played out, but I remember the fame line, which was which was really really good. I thought, and and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that 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 was an interesting part. Mentioning lines, uh, the other line I really liked that we haven't mentioned yet. I like the whole the the, the thing with the ergo, what he says. At the beginning, they talk about Corwin to 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 Lisa, Lisa. I keep calling her Lisa. Is good fighters make bad husbands? I like that line as well. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, because her father says that to her to start with. Yes, good, good fighters make bad husbands, and her response was perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> and then his I like his when she returns the question to him. His response yeah. was, "Well, what depends what you want in a husband? Do you want me to jump for you all the times? You know." Yeah. You know, Maybe you want a fighter, yeah. And and some women want they want a husband that dotes on them all the time, and other women want people that are going to be their equals. And every mm-hmm. every relationship is different, but what people both want to put in and get out of it. And one thing we really haven't talked about is the two main characters. <laughs> yeah, we have we dance around. Before we do that, I'll give you one more line that I liked. Uh, the old one says it: "Death and power are close cousins." I like that line as well. But yeah, you know, we've danced around. Maybe that says how maybe uninteresting the leads are in this that we've talked about every other character and every other situation, but, but the two main ones. You stole my line. I was going to, I was going to say the same thing. We're, we're thinking alike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Sometimes that works. That's good to have. I, I'm going to think, I'm going to start off with Lysette Anthony who plays princess Lycia. And I think I don't blame her at all. I think it's, she's playing the way the character's written. She's just not in it that much. And no. I thought this was intriguing, and I really wish I could find this script. Supposedly, there was a script where she, her character becomes an antagonist type in it, but they changed it because they wanted her to stay pure. And, yeah. her, and her response was, oh, I get to play the goody two-shoes all the way through. I'm curious if she gets tainted. It would have been cool to see if she got tainted somehow and see how that changed, and then er, and, and Cohen wins her heart back. Um, mm-hmm. instead so that way she wasn't playing a one note, but she had some character change and arc going in it. 
and I'm curious to see how it all played out. So I don't blame her at all. I think it was just the way it was written. And, it, and really a lot of eighties mm-hmm. movies and a lot of movies earlier than that, the woman was the damsel in distress, the, the, the MacGuffin to get to go from point A to point B to do all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And this one, it was more stakes than just her. It was the stakes of the whole world, but it mm-hmm. was, I mean, you know, it's just the trope of those types of movies. Yeah. And she's absolutely beautiful. I think in this, uh, and, and she looks like the perfect, sweet, pristine princess. Like she looks the way that they probably wanted her to look. And I did remember reading the same thing you did about the character being different at one point in the script. And I would be interested in seeing that as well. Again, I think she's fine for what she's given. She's just not given much. Also, I do like when she finally meets Cohen. Mm-hmm. I like it how her character says first. I've chosen well. And that, you know, cause a lot of times it would be the guy that would say that Yeah, first, but I thought it was very nice of the writers to have the female character say it first, you know, cause they, and, and, which then also applies. They'd never saw each other, you know, when they're agreeing to it. And both of mm-hmm. them are the ones that it wasn't the parents forcing them to do it or everything. The parents, the dads did not want them to do it. It was somehow these two got in communication with each other and then they yeah. drove the force. You know, this would be interesting if it yeah. was ever made into um an hour long like mini series, you know, where it mm-hmm. was where it went up for eight episodes, eight hours. It would be interesting. Then you could flesh out all this stuff. You could have more of the background, you know, and then that kind of stuff and go. Yeah, through. I think there's a line, I think it may be in the opening narration, the idea that they were getting married to strengthen the houses as it were the kingdoms in order to fight the beast and the black fortress uh but again yeah how that connection was made i don't think they talk about just the fact that they were doing this for that that reason and i do think she comes off at the beginning like kind of strong like she seems like she's going to be a strong character but then when she gets spirited off she again she's just not given a whole lot when that happens and that could have been a function of the script you know, when, the, as you said, when they changed it, they could have been trying to build her up as being someone with some more gravitas or dr- drama to her or weight to her or strength to her. And then that got taken away later on in the script. Um, I wouldn't be surprised by that. And that takes us to our lead, the glaive. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get to the glaive in a second, but Ken Marshall mm-hmm. as Cohen and I enjoy it the way he portrayed it. It's just, it, it could have been more to it. There could have been, it, it feels like there, it's uh, like you said, that using things when you said, um, like the horses were dialed up to 11. So using a one to 10 saying 10's like maximum oomph of charisma and everything. I think yeah. he was like a six, you know, he was, yeah. he's, he's there. He looks good. He looks like he could do all these different things. He does fine with the, you know, with what he's given, but he doesn't, augment the part it could have been mm-hmm. uh, you know brought up a little it could have just been percolated a little more and i think that would have been the piece that's missing i watched uh one review i watched some reviews of the film uh and um a guy referred to ken marshall as dennis quaid ish and i think you do get some of that and i was thinking too around this time like a jeff bridges a kurt russell Someone that definitely had a lot of screen presence and charisma uh, would have been a good pick. I think that's the thing with Marshall. I think he's okay. Like you said, I'd give him maybe a six, but I don't think he has that. He doesn't feel like an epic hero. He doesn't have. 
have the screen presence. He doesn't have the weight to his to his voice and his presence and his words and all of this that an epic hero needs to have um, with him. Again, I would call him fine. But if you went back and you like pulled up a list of everybody else that could have wound up with that part, I think there's probably maybe another 12 to 15 guys that you could have got that would have had a little more uh, oomph to him in the part. I know he was coming off playing Marco Polo in the Marco Polo miniseries or TV series. Yeah. So that could have been why he got the part. But here's an interesting thing. Knowing what we know now from the future, going back 40 years ago, here's an interesting casting switch for you. I think you might, I think you might like this. What if we had two characters, two actors switch roles and see how this would affect your mind. What if Liam Neeson, was playing Colwyn and Ken Marshall played his character. Wow, that's that's a real. I never would have thought of that. That's a neat idea. And and the strange thing is, even though it's a small part, Neeson is so good in what he does. I think if we flipped it, I think Colwyn probably would have had more weight if it was Neeson. But I think that Ke- Keegan yeah. uh, would, would have been less noticeable if it was Marshall. I don't know if Marshall had that roguish swag to him that Neeson brings to the part, but definitely Corwin probably would have jumped up if Neeson would have been in the role. Now, while I may not necessarily think of him off the top of my head as a, a, a romantic leading action hero in a movie like this, he could do it because I think we've seen over the years, a man can do just about anything and he can do action. Uh, so yeah, that, I never would have thought of that, but yeah, I think that probably would have helped this movie. And I think it probably would have helped it, again, in retrospect today, if your lead was Liam Neeson, and every time that Liam Neeson would have a new movie come out, or a big hit like when he did Taken, people would go, oh, hey, you know he did this movie called Crawl? Well, you know, I was like, what? And then you would check that out. The fact that he's a supporting character is different than if he would be the lead. But, yeah, I, I never would have thought of that, but that's a cool idea. I like that. I was just saying, because he would have been, you know, right age, you know, they're, they're yeah. similar age. Young. And yeah. I, I just think it would be interesting if you could go back in your way back machine mm-hmm. and say to look, 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 this is what the future is going to hold. Right now, if you keep it where it is, it's not going to do well in the box office. You got this other guy right here. Just put him in the other role. Put him in the other role. If Ken Marshall walks, get another guy to play Keegan. <laughs> Easy. You got yeah. nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. And now, of course, having said that, then I go back in my Wayback Machine and the whole world is destroyed or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that Liam Neeson had to lead and crawl and now we're overrun by alien robots. Everybody's apes. <laughs> Everybody's apes now because of that. Good job, Steve. Well, you know, it's, it's, I can't do everything. Uh, yeah. Or, or somehow uh, Ken Marshall winds up with Darkman. And he does Taken. And then, <laughs> and then Ken Marshall's a huge star. Well, then Ken Marshall would be thanking me. He'd be like, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. He's like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for getting me out of that movie. You know, switching the roles. It did everything for me. I'm like, oh, who knew? Yeah. yeah, I know. Who knew? But the other thing we, we, we mentioned br- briefly, you talked about it early on, yeah. about how you were less impressed with the glaive this time than when you saw it the first time. But the glaive yeah. is the mystical, magical weapon, the MacGuffin, so to speak. Um, yeah, the the Excalibur sword of this King Arthur story. Yeah, 
Yes, the lightsaber, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the lightsaber, Luke's lightsaber. It's the weapon. I still think it looks cool. It's it's for anyone who hasn't seen it. It's a five sided star that has these blades pop out of it. And, and since we're not going to get spoilers, I'll just say I don't like how it's used at the end of the film uh, because it's built up. And then it's not used, I think, in an anticlimactic way. I'll just say that much. I won't spoil anything. But it does still look really cool. And I actually found a clip from last summer, I believe it was. It was, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name now. I should have wrote it down. But he was uh, one of the guys from Mythbusters. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He, went to, he went to this auction house where they had an original movie used glaive uh, up for auction. And it was really neat to see because the front of it, was very ornate as you see it in the film, but the back of it was plain because it was like a functional one. And you could see how you would press the button and the gears would work and the blades would pop out. So I think the glaive work looks really cool, but again, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's used the best. And it should be mentioned that in anything that you're talking about, like the comic book you mentioned or the video game I mentioned, the glaive is very, very prominent in anything that involves crawl. Adam Savage is the one you're talking about. And I, ah, I, saw, yeah, I saw that episode also, and I was just like, oh, because I, I was on Monster Kid Radio a while back, and one of the mm-hmm. questions when he does his classic five that Derek asked, I got asked him, what would you want from a movie? You know, like what art, like what um, special, not special effect, but prop. And I said to him yeah. right away, "Well, glaive." <laughs> I want the the glaive. glaive would be would be super cool, yeah. Because I think we're talking, yeah, we were talking about Conan the Barbarian. So Sword and Sorcerer is on yeah. my mind already, and I was yeah. like, yeah. "Glaive," because that'd be just something to hold or just to put mm-hmm. up on the wall. I'd be like, "I got the glaive," and it's just it's just so cool. And yes, I wish it was used more in the movie, especially right. after they get it. But Yanir goes, oh, it's a powerful weapon. You have to wait till we use it. You'll know. When will I use it? You'll know when. Okay. Yeah. You know. Well, here's the thing, too. Not only does he know when, but he knows how. Like, how does he know how? And they're telepathically connected somehow. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, but that's never mentioned until at, you have to figure, like, if you're watching it, it takes you a minute to go, oh, he's controlling it with his mind. Oh, okay. But yeah, that's never mentioned up until that point. Yeah, it's magical. Just you gotta go with magic. And like uh, but it would have been yeah. nice that they would have showed him learning how to use it, you know, with mm-hmm. the with the training montage, the classic eighties training montage. <laughs> right, yeah. And then you gotta think, hey, Luke gets to use the lightsaber, he trains with that. King Arthur, you know, he takes a couple swipes with Excalibur when he either gets it from the stone or gets it out of the lake, depending, you know. And so the fact that, that uh, he doesn't get to at least train with it, I think, is is, uh, is a detriment to the film, that he should at least train with it. But having said that, I think I know why they did it that way. Because when they fight, when they fight the Slayers in the various times after that point in the movie, yeah. it would have been, he would have been too OP'd. He would have been too overpowered. You know, he would have taken him out yeah. with one throw. And it would, have, it would have lowered the stakes. So by him not being able to use the mystical, the mystical magical weapon until he got to the big boss at the end, I think that's why they did it because it would have just it would have thrown out the balance of the movie. It would have been like less the stakes would have been lessened tremendously. I can, yeah, I can see that, but at the same time, you're kind of in a catch twenty two. You don't want to do it for the reasons you mentioned, 
but at the same time, the glaive is the thing that you know people are going to be interested in and like and see, and we're going to use it on the posters, and we're going to use it in our marketing. And then to not use it up front, you know, it, 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 you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Here's the thing. I, that, I think that. Here's the thing I came up with. They could have had a solution to this MacGuffin yeah. problem. Mm-hmm. He trains in it, but as he's training with it, he realizes he can only use it so many uses before, you know, like, like you, it's like, it's a thing you can only like one person can only use it so many times before, it, right. before it goes back to its place and waits for another master or person that yeah. he thinks oh. worthy to use it. So that could have limited. So he wouldn't use yeah. it on the lesser ones and he'd have to wait mm-hmm. for the big one. Or the fact because of that mental connection, it takes a toll on him yeah. and he can only use it so much because of that mental toll uh, that it takes on him, or if he uses it too much, it's going to drain his life energy or something like that. So yeah, yeah, something where you have to put a limit on it. Yeah. So I think work. I think the limit would have worked, and that way he could have trained in it a little bit. We would have saw what the weapon could do, and then we would know he can't use it till he gets to the big. Well, or he doesn't get it to near the end. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that could be like on the way type of thing, or it could even be part of the, the, the spider web cave sequence. It could have been, okay. Uh, the old one's like, I'm going to go over here and do this. And you're going to go over here and get the glaive. Yeah. And then, and then they go boom to the big, you know, um, the big fortress at the end. So there are, there are ways mm-hmm. it could have been rewritten and made better. I would love to see this movie remade with some of the plot holes fixed. Yeah. And and see go and I, I love it if they could keep a lot of the practical effects. I love the way the beast looked. The beast looked really cool mm-hmm. the way they were showing them. Um and that kind of thing. I liked how it had to reach out and do certain things. The beast could be anywhere at any time with its power. So there was always that sense of impending problem, but I liked I, I liked a lot of the practical effects. I liked his fortress, the inside parts. I thought the set design was really yeah. cool and interesting, which Thankfully, with Lacia, they got to show her in those things. So you get to really see these cool, wild images. With like, it's, it's yeah, like you're like in a body. Yeah, where she's being held looks like an eye. She looks like she's standing. There's a couple shots where it looks like she's standing like inside of a. She's the pupil inside of an eyeball, and it's a cool shot. It's a cool visual. Yeah, so there, there were a lot of really great things with it that I think. I think trimmed down to maybe an hour and 40 minutes rearranged a little bit, I think, or two hours. If they, if they address some of those issues and flesh out some things a little better, yeah, it could be cool. I think the opening, the one thing that was a little weak was the wedding scene where they're at the castle, they're at the fort. They were taken out mm-hmm. like no time. And which makes you wonder okay, yeah. if these two kingdoms align, how are they going to last when the castle's taken out and just, like what, thirty minutes, an hour? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it, it was the first. It was the first part of the movie, and both of the what? Both their parents died, right? Both of the fathers died. Yeah, and it, I know I don't count that spoiler because it happens the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's the first ten fifteen minutes of the movie, and and yeah. and, 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 and the one father loses three hundred men or something like that on their way traveling to it. Um, it yeah. makes you wonder how are you guys going to hold. <laughs> The lining. Yeah. And, anyway, you're 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 combining to get stronger, but it's not going to make you that much stronger. No, and I think it would have been cool. And I think 
maybe they were limited. I think it would have probably been more done if it would if the Slayers costumes would have had more of the the physicality use that mm-hmm. they could have done. So we might have had more of that opening. I think that that would have been a nice ten minute fight scene, battle scene. Mm-hmm. Would have would have been well, really cool. Well, what shocked about with a miniseries was if you do that, then you can spend a lot more time with that that setup that like you know the two kingdoms and the fathers and how they're getting destroyed on the battlefields and and et cetera et cetera that could be your first one or two episodes before you even get to that wedding sequence if you do the issues that you talked about and right now i think that would be the way to go more than a remake film would be to do a remake series and we've seen that um dark crystal for instance had a limited series um, not too long ago that was off of the, the film. Uh, and I'm sure there's been others, but I would, I would go with that. I said, if you do an eight to 10 part limited series on HBO max, I think that would be a great way to bring crawl back. Well, I think so too. And then you could also, if people wonder what the beast was like in the past, when they get to the Emerald seer, which we didn't really talk about, or they go to, mm-hmm. um, the widow of the web, or when you talk about yeah. the Cyclops backstory, then they could spend this 10, 15 minutes on that episode when you're introduced to that new character going back to learn and about some of the history. Flashbacks. Yeah. And that way you can feel and get the sense of what happened in the past. Cause if, cause if I think it would be cool if you pick up like this one does where they're arriving at the wedding and then, cause that way you get that great strong opening thing. You get the fight you get that great first yeah. episode and then as they go to these different parts with like Yanir when he shows up, then you start to flesh out the backstory and you start to have those scene, those things that happened prior to that. And you learn it from these different characters as they're coming into play. Um, or, or almost like, like lost did with its TV show where every, where they did the little flashbacks. Yeah. 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 You could do something like that. So um, yeah, I think there's potential there. I don't know if anyone would touch crawl, but we are living in an era where everything old is new again. And if somebody has rights to a property, they might try to figure out how to bring it back. So who knows? I'll tell you what, Steve, if they ever do a crawl miniseries or a crawl remake, we'll, we'll come back and we'll do a sequel episode. How about that? Oh, we will. And speaking of a sequel episode, not, not on crawl. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to roll the dice to see what your next selection would be for the future? If you want to bring me back, I would be absolutely honored. And and let's go ahead and roll the dice and see what we come up with. Right. And Leonard, you're always welcome back. So I appreciate that. Right, I hope I hope that the listeners had fun and I hope you had fun and that they would love to have me back to talk about another film. So let's see what we got. All right. Comedies one and horror is the other. Oh, horror comedies. <laughs> You know what my first inclination is, and we don't have to do this, but you probably know one of my favorite all-time movies is The Ghost of Mr. Chicken. Oh, I love The Ghost of Mr. Chicken. And- let's, let's put a pin in Ghost of Mr. Chicken, uh, but there's some others that, that I might be interested in. But I wrote an article for Monster Bash Magazine once on, on The Ghost of Mr. Chicken. Uh, so let's put a pin in that, but I'll continue to brainstorm. And if there's something else I might like to talk more about, uh, um, I'll mention that to you. But but let's put a pin in the ghost of Mr. Chicken for next time out. Awesome. And, and Leonard, I want to thank you, but I also want to remind listeners that they want to hear, if you want more Leonard, and who doesn't want more Leonard? Right. Again, 
You can watch him. You can hear him on the Nitty Gritty Wrestling Podcast with Chad Webb. You can also read him in Monster Bash. And if you want to hear him talk about movies in the past, they can go where, Leonard, to an archive where you've done movie reviews. Yes, um, I used to do, I don't know if they're archived anywhere, but I used to do audio reviews for uh, Ron Adams, who does Monster Bash for his LegionnaireRadio.com. But I also used to work for 411mania.com as their movie zone editor, and I did wrestling columns and movie columns for them. And those are still up to my knowledge. If you Google my name and 411mania, some of that stuff will come up. And, of course, if you go, if you also, if you, I'm very, I tell people I'm easily Googled. You easily Googled me. You can find a lot of my my uh, uh, stories from my newspaper out there too, and a lot of stuff out there. So feel free to to look me up. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook as well. I'm all over the place. He's on all the social medias and 411mania.com. I'll have that in the show notes. So if you if you don't have time to write it down, or if you don't feel like doing the web search, you can go, you know, look on the show notes. Go to the link. Yeah, and, and that's hopefully still, that's it's still there. Website. Yeah, that's a, my, a lot of my stuff is still archived because I have found it in the past when I've been trying to look up something. Uh, but it, it's a great website still. It's just because I got too busy with everything else I was doing to keep working for it. But it's still an active website. They they have movie reviews, wrestling, music, all kinds of stuff. I still have uh, – I know a lot of the guys are still right for it, and I have a heart for a lot of the guys that still right for it. But if you're looking for a one-stop pop culture shop, 411 Mania is a great place to go. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm hopefully have you on again before the June monster bash. That way we can talk up a little bit about that and then go into the June bash. And I'll be seeing you again in person with your lovely wife and it'll be a fun time. Uh, I know yeah, the- so, yeah hopefully, hopefully we can. We'll spend the first half talking about monster bash. And we'll spend the second half talking about probably the ghost of Mr. Chan. If not that, it'll be some other type of horror comedy. Yeah. Uh, but listeners, I want to thank you all for listening. And like always, please leave us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page, which is also Diecast Movie Podcast. And to leave it, to let us go out. We talked about the music from James Horner. We're going to leave, we're just going to exit the episode and go and listen to some of that music from Crawl because it's just wonderful music. And if you haven't seen this movie, uh, we both recommend you see the movie. It's available yeah. for an easy rental fee. It's not streaming on any services, to my knowledge, but it is a rental for like just a couple of bucks, or you can get the Blu-ray. Yeah, I had to rent it. I think the HD, HD through Amazon was, I think, for either three ninety nine or four ninety nine, but you can get it for under five bucks. Yeah, or you can buy the Blu-ray if it's still yeah. available. I remember. I think I got the Blu-ray a few years ago for ten dollars. So I mean, then you mm-hmm. got it. It was a no. It was a bare bones version of the Blu-ray. But it'd be nice mm-hmm. if they ever come out with. Maybe it'll come out this year with a fortieth edition. That would be kind of. They cool. should, yeah. But, but thank well, you. Well, they do. We'll have to. Yeah, I was just going to say if they do, we'll have to mention that next time we get together uh, for for another show. But again, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Oh, it was wonderful.